Many Christian denominations are publicly wrestling with the question of what to do about same-sex unions in their local congregations. On this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. David K. Bernard outlines the United Pentecostal Church International's stance on this hot-button topic, and he explains why the organization holds that position. Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first-century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to check out Dr. David K. Bernard's books. Dr. Bernard has written more than 30 books on biblical theology and Christian living and leadership. Visit PentecostalPublishing.com and search David Bernard for a list of available titles. Enter promo code DKB10 at checkout to save 10% on your order. That's PentecostalPublishing.com promo code DKB10 to save 10% at checkout. Thank you for joining us. Back in December, Pope Francis caused quite a stir when he announced that Catholic priests would now be allowed to pronounce a blessing on same-sex couples. This seemed to signal a shift in the Roman Catholic Church's policy towards same-sex unions. And of course, you know, it comes at a time when many Protestant denominations are wrestling with this question of what to do about same-sex couples in the church. Today, I want to ask you, what is the United Pentecostal Church International stance on same-sex unions, and how did we arrive at that particular stance? Can you explain? To answer your question, we must go to the Bible, the Word of God. We believe the Bible is our authority for salvation, for Christian life, and for Christian ministry. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or mature, complete, uh, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so when it, when it comes to decisions like this or beliefs like this, we're going to go to the Bible as our authority. That's the teachings of God's Word. So we're not going to go by culture by current theories of psychology or sociology. We're going to go by what the Bible says. Uh, For a full discussion, you can read my book, God's Infallible Word. When we go to the Bible, we can start with Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter before sin entered the world. Um, We see God's plan. So Genesis 1, 27, God created humans as male and female. And then in Genesis chapter 2, we see God's plan for marriage. Before there was a church, uh, before there was human government, in the very beginning, God established what marriage is supposed to be like. He said, a man will leave his father and mother. King James says, cleave unto his wife or join to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's God's plan for marriage. Uh, a valid marriage in the sight of God is a public leaving of your previous a family, a public cleaving or joining of man and woman, and they become one f- flesh, which is physical, uh, emotional, spiritual, and it's meant to be for life. The book of Malachi says God hates divorce. It's not his plan. Sometimes 
it is um, necessary or possible because of sin, but it wasn't God's plan in the beginning. Uh, so that's very clear. And the Bible teaches that outside of marriage, uh, this kind of a marriage is defined biblically, then sexual relationships are sinful. So Hebrews 13.4 says that God approves of marriage, that the, the marriage bed is wholesome and undefiled, but those who commit fornication, sexual relationships outside of marriage, uh, God will judge them. So that's God's basic plan. When Jesus was asked a question about divorce in Matthew 19, uh, he went back to God's original plan in Genesis. He actually quoted from Genesis chapter 2. And he said, this is still God's plan, and don't change God's plan. And he was talking about, uh, they were talking about options for divorce. And he said, well, unless it's for the cause of fornication, you shouldn't get a divorce because God's plan is for the two to become one. And what God has joined we shouldn't separate. And I suppose perhaps we can uh, say the equivalent thing is what what God has designed to be separate, we should not try to join. So for that reason, we believe that the only proper marriage has to be between one man and one woman who make a lifelong commitment. Uh, therefore, same-sex marriage is not biblical. It's not a true marriage in God's eyes. And that means same-sex unions of other kinds uh, would be fornication, would be a violation of God's plan for marriage. It would be sinful. So notice this goes back to the original creation account before there was sin as God designed the human race. And, of course, it's obvious he designed this kind of marriage, first for procreation, but second for um, uh, male and female are complementary. That is, they are not equivalent to each other, they're equal in God's sight, but they're not equivalent. They have different roles and functions. And so to fulfill God's full image, it takes both man and woman. To fulfill God's plan for family, for society, it takes the complementary input of husband and wife, father and mother. They're not considered to be the same. They're considered to be different. Both are needed for God's plan. Now, if you go throughout the scripture, the book of Leviticus chapter 18 talks about uh, proper versus improper sexual relationships and marriages. And although that's under the law of Moses, this part of the, the uh, book of Leviticus is dealing with God's moral law. And so in Acts 15, when the early church was debating what needs to be retained from the law of Moses, when Gentiles come into the church, do they need to keep the law of Moses? The answer was no. Do they need to be circumcised? No. But they did need to keep the moral law, specifically the laws against fornication. So Acts 15, the early church explicitly incorporated those teachings from the Old Testament. Of course, we have the New Testament teachings in addition to Jesus, Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul explained, and he very specifically identified same-sex relationships between men and same-sex relationships between women. And he said these are contrary to God's plan. They're contrary to nature. As a society goes further and further away from God, as they refuse to worship God, refuse to acknowledge God, they turn to their own devices. They're led progressively further and further away until they end up... Uh, even going against nature itself as created by God. This indicates the decline of human society and human culture. Now, that's not to say that people who are involved in these sins are any worse sinners than others, but it's just to say as a society goes further and further away from God's plan, uh, you see this kind of sin being accepted and condoned 
Uh, and, and that's exactly what you're finding today in a post-Christian society. Uh, there are other passages. Uh, uh, for example, the book of Jude uh, refers to Sodom and Gomorrah. There are many sins in those evil cities, but one of the sins was same-sex relationship. And Jude specifically mentions um, this immoral going after strange or unnatural desires, uh, fulfilling them. Uh, a very important passage of Scripture for the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, lists a number of sins, including adultery, including fornication, including homosexual relationships. So notice we're not talking about whether someone is tempted, whether someone might have a predisposition, whether they've been the past labeled with an orientation or nature. We're not talking about the person. We're talking about actions. Uh, so lustful thoughts and lustful actions outside of a biblical marriage, whether homosexual or heterosexual, are, are contrary to God's plan. And so after listing these sins, um, the Bible says people who participate in these sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. It goes on to say, and such were some of you. So in the past, there are Christians who are involved with these various sins, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So in the Corinthian church, in the New Testament church, there are people who had been involved in fornication, adultery, homosexual relationships, and but they had been transformed by the power of God uh, through a new birth experience of being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Their sins were washed away forgiven. They received a new identity, new power, the Spirit of God to help them develop a new life. And so when somebody comes and says, I want you, the church to bless a same-sex union, our answer would be, we cannot bless what God has not blessed. We cannot bless what God has condemned. Um, but if you want to know God's plan, we'll teach you God's plan. And we can offer a new life. We, we don't hate you. We don't despise you. Uh, and, and so I think, you know, certainly we should treat people who are involved in a same-sex relationship. We can treat them with kindness, with respect. Um, they're humans who are created in the image of God. They're humans for whom Jesus Christ died. Uh, so we can be friends. We can be co-workers. Uh, we can recognize them as fellow citizens with all the rights of citizenship equal to uh, anyone else. Uh, but when it comes to asking for a blessing on a certain relationship, we can only bless what God has blessed according to his word. But if they're interested in God's plan, we can say God can forgive you, God can transform you, and God can give you the kind of relationship that he approves. So we're not trying to destroy your life. We're not trying to put you under um, a heavy burden or oppression or condemnation. We're trying to offer you God's plan for your life. And it's an abundant life. John chapter 10 says, the thief comes to kill, to steal, destroy. And these are the words of Jesus. But I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So Jesus will give us an abundant life. And our answer would be, if you follow God's plan, then God's blessings will be upon uh, your life because it will be according to his word and it will be led by his spirit. So uh, we as uh, Bible believers must always 
stand firm on the teachings of the Word of God. Some people have said the UPCI's stance on this issue is bigoted and outdated. How should Christian leaders respond to that allegation? Well, my answer is it's not bigoted. And if there is some hint of bigotry, we need to get rid of that. So we we can treat uh, someone in a same-sex relationship or someone who has same-sex desires the same as anyone else. Same rights, same privileges, as far as uh, humans are concerned. Um, and as I said, we can have a positive working relationship or a positive friendship or a positive family relationship. So no, we're, we're not bigoted. We're not trying to deny them, uh, the right to live in our society and function as anyone else in our society. But when it comes to the church, we must follow God's plan. To give a, a simple but lesser illustration, we ch- treat, teach that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And of course, that involves sexual relationships, but it also involves such things as smoking and drinking. So we teach that uh, if you want to follow God's plan for your life, you shouldn't smoke cigarettes. You shouldn't uh, drink alcoholic beverages. You shouldn't use things that can cause addiction or harm to your physical body. Does that mean we hate people that smoke cigarettes? Does that mean we want to take away their human rights, that we want to deny them the privilege of society? No, we recognize it's a legal activity. So we're not here trying to destroy their civil rights, but we're telling them God's plan for their life. So if they want to follow God's plan, here it is. If they choose not to follow God's plan, that's their choice as a human. God himself respects their choice, but we're bound to say there are consequences both in this life and in the life to come for the choices that people make. So no, this is not a matter of bigotry. Uh, we, we need to respect people. We need to treat other people as we would wish to be treated. That's the golden rule that Jesus enunciated in Matthew 7, 12. But uh, at the same time, we recognize truth is still truth. So to use my analogy, uh, we still recognize that cigarettes cause 400,000 Americans to die every year. So we're not going to pretend it doesn't. We're not going to say, oh, it's good for you. It's fine. God doesn't care. We don't care. No, we do care. It does make a difference. There is a right and wrong. There, there are consequences for bad choices. Uh, but So we're going to stand for truth. But that doesn't mean we have to be bigoted or hateful towards other people. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share apostolic life in the 21st century with a friend or family member. And make plans to join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.